Testing. Good morning, everybody. I don't know how many were here last time, but I like classroom participation, so I may ask questions. Be free to answer them. Don't, don't feel shy. So I think everybody should be involved in church, not just the pastor. So I'm going to uh, do the technical stuff here. Give me a second. Um, how many people here watch re- award shows like the Oscars or Grammys or anything? Country Music Awards something. One person? Wow, okay. Well, and you, you watch the show, a lot of these actors or musicians, they get up on stage and some of them have good things to say. Some of them not so good. And um, they do a lot of political, social commentary. Um, I don't think the pulpit is necessarily a place you do that a lot. But in our culture today, sometimes stuff needs to be said. And if I feel God lays it on my heart to say it, I'm going to say it. So I had, I had a 14-page sermon. Now I got a 16-page sermon. But, you know, that's, that's, just, how, that's just how it happened. But I, uh, I'm going to talk about some, it's, it's going to be some heavy stuff, but hopefully you'll be blessed by it and we'll be better people for it. So my mother, she grew up in Macon, Georgia. In 1948, she was born, and she grew up in the 50s there till she was 10 years old. Um, she lived in the same town as James Brown, which you can, you can see there. Um, she attended segregated schools, all black people. She couldn't go to school with white people. She had to ride the back of the bus because she was, they called them colored black back then, but she was black, and that's why she had to ride the back of the bus. She was called derogatory names many times, including the N-word. Um, it, 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 she, tells us, she tells us these stories now. Remember, we grew up in Buffalo, New York, so we don't have a lot of reference points. So she's just telling us these things. And, you know, it, it's disturbing, but like I said, we didn't grow up there. But, you know, as you grow up and you watch movies like Roots and see things, you get a better perspective. But these are things she told us. Um, when she was coming home from school, you know, she would see crosses burning on people's lawns. You know, just everyday occurrence, that was life. Um, some days coming home from school, she would see black guys hanging from trees, men and boys, not just men, they were boys. Didn't happen a lot, but it happened enough. And uh, she would tell, tell us these stories. And back then there was no justice because the local law enforcement, they were part of it whether directly or indirectly, they were part of the system. And so it's just another dead black person hanging from a tree. So personally, I've been called the N-word not many times, but growing up every once in a while, somebody would say something stupid to me. Um, I've been stereotyped of sleeping with lots of women because I guess black people do that, so I've been accused of that. I've been accused of having lots of babies. I don't know what that means, but I've been accused of it because I'm a black man. Um, I've been accused of being, being a drug dealer. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I, just remember, these are people who don't know me. They're just telling me about myself. And it's, 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 always, uh, it's always funny to have people tell you about yourself. When I was 14 years old, I was enrolled in a Christian school. And my, my mother was talking to the principal. And the principal said, well, we're going to let your son in, but we know he's going to be a troublemaker. I, I've seen his type before. And I was like, the guy didn't even know me. I was like, wow, okay. So, you know, that's not how it worked out, obviously. But, you know, they just kind of 
irritated me a little that someone thought they knew me that well and told my mother, I was like, wow. I've been accused of voting for Obama because I'm black, which actually of all the things I've said, that's the most insulting actually, <laughs> seriously, you know? I'm just, just, just saying, just saying. So, when I was 16 years old, me and my brother, not my brother John, my, my second oldest brother, Todd, we were walking home from a convenience store. This is Buffalo, New York suburbs. And uh, it was like seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. And we were just walking home, something we do on a regular occasion. And a police officer pulled us over. Now, mind you, we're walking. I'm 16 and he's 12. And... Um, we're like, okay. And, and, and so he, he was like, what are you guys doing? I was like, we're coming back from the store, going home, which was literally right where those double doors were. That's how close we were to our house. And he's like, well, do you know why I pulled you over? Now, going through my head, I'm like, I don't have a busted tail light because we're walking. So I'm thinking that's not a good reason. I, you know, we had no idea why he pulled us over. And, and literally the next words out of his mouth has stuck with me 30 years he said to us, he stopped us because we were too happy. That's what he said. I was, I was, I was like, we were too happy. Okay, all right. Now, mind you, this is a white police officer, just to clarify. And so I was like, okay. I, I didn't even know what to say to that. And so he was like, well, you know, you can't be walking around happy. So, so needless to say, he put us into the back of the police vehicle. We explained to him where we lived and everything. He said, well, I'm going to take you home. And uh, I, I had a license at the time, so I think he ran my license just to make sure. And so he drove us home, and my mom, the mother came to the door. And she said, officer, what's the problem here? So I saw your two children walking home, and, you know, you need to tell them that the world's a horrible place, and they shouldn't be walking happy. I mean, I, he said it again, so I was like, he was stuck unhappy. My mother said, thank you, officer. Well, I will make sure we have that conversation with them, and God bless you. Now, after all the things I told you how she grew up, that was how she treated the officer. And when we were talking to the officer, we respected the officer. We had every right to be upset. We had every right to be belligerent, but that's not how our mother raised us. She raised us to treat people the way we want to be treated. And even though the officer pulled us over for some stupid reason, it didn't matter. He was authority, we weren't. And so we, we did what we were asked to do. And you know, getting the back of a police car, you know, 1950s, you may not come back home. So just because my mother had told us these stories, so living a life being a black person in America, it comes with baggage. You can't let that baggage define you though. That's the thing, you know, no matter what color you are, we all have history no matter what it is, but that history shouldn't define you. Um, my mother was raised by her grandmother for the first 10 years down in Macon, Georgia, and my grandmother was a Christian, my great-grandmother was a Christian, and she instilled love in my mother for all the horrible things she saw. She never taught us to look at people by color or culture. She says, get to know the person for who they are. That's how she trained us. And so I never grew up looking at people like, oh, that's a white person or a black person or any, I was like, those are people. Get to know them for better or for worse. And that's how we all should be. Unfortunately, we're living in a society now and I don't know why it's happening. Obviously it's the devil and sin, 
but all of a sudden we're creating a culture where people are not loving each other and, and, and accusing people of things that they shouldn't be accused of. I know racism ex exists, I'm not stupid. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still out there on all sides. But as Christians, we are not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be loving and kind to everybody, no matter what color, creed, religion they are. We're still, still supposed to love. And we're supposed to accept people for who they are on the inside, not on the outside. My encounter with the sheriff could have ended with me being dead, with him being dead, or somewhere in between. That's how it could have went down. And you know, we could have been like, he's going to try to kill us. And we could have went for his gun to try to kill him first. You know, what's going through people's heads, you never know. But my mom said, respect authority. If we ended up dead, we would have been in heaven that day. That, that was fine. But it was going to be because we did the right thing, not because we were going to try to take authority from the authority. And that's part of the problem in our culture. We don't have respect for authority. Nothing good comes from being angry without common sense. And a lot of the stuff going on is, you know, the anger is there, but there's no common sense attached to it. I have respect for law enforcement. And regardless of the reason they pull people over or whatever they do, I believe most of the time it's for a good reason in their heads. Whether it's a good reason to me, that's a different issue. They're the police. I don't know what they're thinking. And it's not my job to do. My job is to be a law-abiding citizen and listen to the police officer. That's my job. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Things can turn out so much differently by the attitude in which we do things. And so God tells us, you can be belligerent and stupid and end up shot, or you can suck up your pride and say, yes, sir, and go back home and have dinner with your family. A simple decision in a moment can change your life. And people don't think about that anymore. They just mouth off or give a finger or whatever they're doing and don't understand the consequences of their actions. There was an article in CBS News last August, and uh, I'm sure everybody's heard of this, Black Lives Matter protesters. They were, they were marching outside the Minnesota State Fair, and they were on video saying, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. And this was like four or five hours after a police officer had just been shot and killed by somebody. Now, whether you like police or not, I don't really, that's, not, that's your own personal preference, but telling people to fry policemen like bacon, there's no excuse for that. And this is first, I mean, I don't even look at this stuff most of the time, but it, it came across my radar this week because obviously six police officers were shot in Dallas. And this is why I'm talking about it because our culture is getting out of control and someone needs to speak up. I'm speaking up here, but each one of you can speak in your homes to your children, to your spouses, and to your friends. We can't tolerate this kind of behavior. We just can't. People, black lives matter, I don't, all lives matter. Nobody's more important than anybody else. And when you put one group against another, that's what's gonna happen. People are gonna start shooting people from top of buildings in the name of Black Lives Matter or White Lives Matter or whoever they decide that they care about. Um, I can't think that the words pigs in a blanket frying like bacon is gonna ease tensions with anybody. That's just gonna escalate the situation. The Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. God says he loves everyone. All lives matter, young, old, black, white, male, female. The truth is 
there's bad cops, good cops, there's all kinds of cops, right? Most cops are good cops. Most cops are good cops. They do their job, they protect us. I can go to my house every day and I don't worry about getting mugged or beat up or shot. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but I don't worry about it. You know why? Because we have policemen, we have sheriffs. They're here to protect us. And if we're gonna disrespect them and not give them the due respect that's due, then who's gonna protect you? We wanna live in the wild, wild west? I mean, we do live in the west, but do we want it to be wild? Where we just gotta be gunslinging and trying to figure it out for ourselves? I don't. That should be the last resort. That's why we have policemen. Police save lives every single day. They're not on TV, they're not getting props, but that's what they do. They save lives. They stop people from dying all the time. One black person gets shot in this national news. A cop gets shot, oh well, you know, send some money to the police fund. That's not the way it should be. All lives matter. You shouldn't be picking one side over the other. When I, when I was watching the news about the policemen in, in Dallas, the people who were protesting against the police, when the shots started running, coming, you know where they went? Behind the police to protect them. So in their arrogance and stupidity, they still understood the police are here to protect us. And so as, as church members, we need to be praying for our police every day. We need to be praying for our police. Not just here in Tucson, but around the country. Because they're doing a very tough job, not getting paid a lot of money. And if we don't have faith and trust in them, they're not going to want to do the job. They're just going to leave and quit. They're going to go do something else. And then we're going to be left to deal with the crazy people. Just think about that. So this week, if you can, let a police officer know that you appreciate them. Buy them a cup of coffee. Don't go buy them a donut. That's too stereotypical. Do something else. But just let them know you appreciate them and that you're praying for them. I guarantee you it'll go a long way to healing in this country. Just, just us, this little body here doing good things for our police. And share it with your Facebook friends. We need to support our police. If there's a bad apple in the bunch, let the justice system do what the justice system needs to do. I'm okay with that. But we should be going out there being proactive as Christians, not just sitting by watching the news and just saying, oh, the world is horrible. We can do something about it. Um, let's just take a moment and pray for the people in the Dallas and uh, we'll get the lesson started. Lord, we know we live in a wicked world, but Lord, you have us in the midst of this wicked world to shine glory to your name and to show your love to the world. We ask you, Lord, to bless those police officers' families that have lost their loved ones, to, in this tragedy, show them the love of Christ and let the churches in Dallas bind together and, and, and just show love and outpouring of God's grace and mercy to the police officers and to the people who are protesting, Lord. Only love of Christ and love for Christ will heal this land and heal our people. Lord, just let us take things seriously to understand the time is short and we are here to be your light in this dark place. We thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you forgive her? Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her?
You shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it. That doesn't make any sense, Laura. You don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem. Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat? Well, yeah, Lord. Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else. Yes, this is, Lord. This is way different. When I asked you to quit your job, you quit. Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week and I'll pray about it? Uh, I'll give you my answer now. Uh, but, Lord... Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming okay? by here? Well, yes. let's go. Now's your no. chance to talk to no. her. I want you to but forgive Lord, her. Lord, you don't understand. Hey! hey Laura, hi. It's been hi. like two wow. weeks since we've had coffee. Yeah. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Oh, wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh. Yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh. Well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's great. Um, I guess I'll just, um, see you later then. Bye. <laughs> Lord, did you hear that attitude? I thought you were going to forgive her. I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord. No, you said that. Oh, okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura, you need to obey. I want you to forgive Kat. But Lord... Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. So as I read the newspaper and watch the news and listen to the radio, you hear hopelessness. That's what you hear. Just people want to give up. They don't trust the government. They don't trust religion. They don't trust authority. And a lot of them certainly don't trust the church. And why should they? We are doing things God has told us not to do. We're gossiping about one another, slandering one another, judging each other's hearts, holding grudges, divorcing one another, cheating on one another, lying, stealing, isolating ourselves from the body of Christ when God tells us to share our lives together. We're not committing one to one another. We're fornicating, compromising, coveting, envying, and adding and subtracting from what God's word says. Many Christians treat the Christ and the church as if it's irrelevant. But Jesus created the church to be headquarters central. It is where we come to get energized, to get support, to be edified, to get godly instruction, to get brotherly love, and to see Jesus' hands in action. We are supposed to be sharing our talents, our time, and our treasures with one another. We are supposed to be a family, but the world doesn't see it that way. Ephesians 4 can help change that perception if we do what it says to do. We're going to be going through chapter 4, 17 through 32. And the purpose here is, this is not, a, I always tell people, some people think I'm a downer. It's not about being a downer. It's about instructing us to do what God tells us to do. That's what our job is. If we're doing it, then we can talk about flowers and cherries. That's great. But we're not. It's evidenced by the empty seats in here we're not. That's the truth. I know there's people not here that I know go here for like 10 years. They show up whenever they feel like it. I'm here every single week. You know why? Because I love you guys. People aggravate me all the time. So if I wanted to not be here, I could have a good excuse not to. But I love my family. And you love your family too. 
You don't, you're like, kids, get out of my house. You don't do that to people. You say, no, you deal with the good and the bad. And that's what church is. We're not all perfect, right? Jesus is the only one perfect. So if you're looking for a perfect church, let me know when you find it, I'll go join it because it doesn't exist. We are all God's people and we're all gonna screw up. But if when we come together, good things happen, not bad things. So Ephesians 4, 17. I'm not putting a lot of the scriptures up. So if you wanna pull out your Bibles, or just jot down the scripture verses, that'll be good. I just, I decided not to do a lot of it today. So I tell you this and assist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility, emptiness of their thinking. So how do people who do not follow God live? So if you don't know how to live for God, you know what you do? You find how the people who don't live for God live and do the opposite. That's, that's what I have to at. So Romans 1, 29 through 30, talking about people who don't live for God. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters. They are insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. So... How do people who do not follow God think? We know how they live, but how do they think? What are, what are they thinking about? Romans 19 through 32. For although they know God, since God has made it known to them and plain to them, they neither glorify him as God nor give thanks to him. But their thinking is futile and their foolish hearts are darkened. Although they claim to be wise, they are fools, and they exchange the truth about God for a lie. They do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gives them over to what? A deprived mind. So they do what should not be done. There are no atheists in the world. They may tell you they're an atheist, but they're lying to you. Because God says, I've made it plain to everyone that I exist. They're just not choosing to acknowledge it. That's all. But they're not an atheist. When they tell you that, they're just saying, give God the finger. That's all they're doing. You've you got to remember that. Because when you're talking to them, don't talk to them like as if they don't believe in God. Talk to them as if they know there's a God, they just choose not to serve him. Because that's a better conversation. If you give them the benefit of the doubt, God says, don't give them the benefit of the doubt. They're lying to you. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They have no understanding, although they, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do these things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but approve of those who also practice them. The Bible says they are fools. Fools are people who are unwise. It is the fool that says in their heart, there is no God, Psalms 14.1. So why does a person say there isn't a God? Because they're foolish, not because they believe it, it's because they have become wise in their own eyes. They have taken wisdom and applied it to themselves. But the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't have wisdom without God. That's what the Bible teaches. So once again, and I said this the last time I preached, do not look to the world for wisdom. Look to God and God's people for wisdom. The world has nothing to offer you. That's hard to, to believe, but it's true. That's what the Bible teaches. So back to Ephesians 4, 18 through 19. 
It says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them that is due to their hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to lustful and lewd desires so as to indulge in every kind of impurity or impurity and they are full of greed. Having lost all sensitivity. Does everybody feel like the world has lost their common sense? I mean, I, I mean, when I was 14, the stuff going on now, I would have moved to a different planet if I knew that was going to happen. I mean, it's just, I can't even rationalize any of it. And, and it's getting worse. And the problem is, they're getting louder and we're getting quieter. And that's not how it's supposed to be. If, if they're speaking lies, we're supposed to speak the truth. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, boy, <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you, like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it, yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I'd say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place. 
as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. You're like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? Having lost all sensitivity, common sense, the world is off the chain crazy. Girls could be boys, boys could be girls, marry whoever you want, no order, no rules, no standards. God's kingdom is not a kingdom of chaos. Once again, if the world's doing it, 99.9% .9 of the time you shouldn't be. If you can't, I mean, this is the university level, they can't even answer a simple question. You're not six, point, you're not six foot five, that should be easy, you know? He's like five nine. But maybe he doesn't feel 5'9". What, what does that have to do with anything? Right? Truth is truth. You know? What you believe is not irrelevant. It's the facts that's relevant. Because if that's the case, then I, I feel like I'm rich. So I should just be able to walk in the bank and take out money, right? No, they're going to be like, that's not in your bank account. Sorry, we can't help you. The world doesn't care about consequences. The, the slipperier their slope this gets, the worse consequences are gonna happen to our country. Nobody thinks about that part. They just wanna feel good, but they don't look at the results of everything we're doing is gonna, is gonna come to a head at some point. And then everything that's been done is gonna be undone. All our rights that we have now, they're gonna take the ones we have and take those and the ones they're talking about. That's the ultimate goal. Let you do whatever you want so they have to take away whatever you want. Because if you let people, that's anarchy. And you know what happens when you have anarchy? You have tyranny coming right after it. Because the people need to be controlled. God is about freedom, not about control. So he gives us rules and regulations to keep us out of trouble. So we're not acting stupid. That's what he does. It says we are full of greed. We live in a culture that's unsatisfied. You got one house, you need another house. You got a new car, you need another car. You got a new wife, you need another wife. Never ended, always unsatisfied. Now, I don't usually do like social commentary or political commentary, but I, I hear a lot of people like, they're like Bernie Sanders fans and they're like, great. I'm not saying whether you should vote for Bernie or not. I'm just saying socialism as a economic system is not a godly system. You wanna know what's good in the Bible? Take what the world says and then look what the Bible says. So even if you don't like capitalism, socialism is rooted in everything anti-God. That's what it is. But people never take the time to actually study the Bible to figure it out. And I'm like doing my lesson, I'm like, Lord, why am I talking about socialism? It just came out of the blue. But it's in here because he wanted me to talk about it. But God doesn't treat people equally when it comes to talent. We're all equal in God's eyes as far as love, but some people can do things I can't do. Does that make them better in God's eyes? No, that just means they can do stuff I can't do. And maybe they'll get paid more money for it. 
But am I supposed to want their money now because they could do something I can't do? No, God gave me skills to do what I need to do and I shouldn't begrudge someone else. But socialism says, if Jackie makes $50,000 and Wayne makes 25, we need to come to the middle and you share your money. Well, she earned the $50,000, he didn't. So why should he get her money? That's what socialism is. God doesn't do that. God says, you are rewarded for your talents and you get to do what you want with your own money. There's a story in the Bible that talks about a landowner who went out in the morning to hire workers. And he said, hey, come work for me and I'm gonna pay you $80. It's the denarius. Then he went out at 12 o'clock, three o'clock and five o'clock and hired more people each time. And he didn't tell them how much he was gonna pay them. He just said, come work for me and I'll give you a fair wage. At the end of the day, he paid the person five o'clock, the work stopped at six, so they only worked an hour. He paid them $80. And then the people who started at six in the morning, he paid them the $80 they agreed to. Guess who was grumbling and complaining? The people who started at six in the morning. But they agreed to work for 80 bucks, but they wanted more money because the guy gave the person that worked for an hour $80. And the moral of the story was, why are you begrudging me because I'm generous? I'm sharing what I want to share with people. That's my business. And that's what God calls us to do. The government should not be involved in telling you to share your money. God should be involved in telling you to share your money. The government needs to mind their own business. Because if, if you're giving out of the government, you're not giving out of the goodness of your heart. So we don't get any treasures from God anyway. It doesn't do us any good. You have to do things because it's the right thing, not because the government forces you to. That's my little spill there. All right, Ephesians 4, 17, 20 to 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility and emptiness of their thinking. That is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The life we live as followers of Christ is supposed to be completely different from the ungodly life we used to live. Paul says we were taught four things when we learned about Jesus. Now, I don't know if you were taught these four things when you learned about Jesus. That's the assumption he's making for the Ephesians, but some people, they don't get the whole gospel. They only get parts of the gospel. They don't get all pieces of it. And so here are the four pieces. First one is to put off the old nature. That's the first piece of being a believer. Second piece is to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to renew your mind in Christ. The third piece is to put on the new man, the new person, and pursue God's desires and not your own. And the fourth is to be like God, living a life of righteousness and holiness. That is what the gospel is. A lot of times people say, it's about Jesus loving you. Yes, it's about Jesus loving you, but all those pieces are involved. And if you don't get all those pieces, then how are you gonna do them? That's why we study the Bible. That's why I'm up here. That's why you read your Bible. Because if you don't know all the pieces, you can't do the things God wants you to do. So let's look at those four points a little closer. The first one is put off the old nature.
see you left me no pizza. Caleb, I just lit that candle. I like the way it smells. Well, I don't. Did you leave me any dinner at all? I assumed you were eating with Michael. Does it not occur to you that there are two people living in this house and both of them need to eat? You know what, Caleb? If you would communicate with me, maybe I could have something for you. Why do you have to make everything so difficult? Oh, I'm making everything difficult? Seems to me like I'm the one carrying the weight around here while you're off doing your own thing. Excuse me? I'm the one out there working to pay this mortgage, and I pay for both of the cars. Yeah, and that's all you do. I pay all of our bills with my salary. Which you agreed to do. That's fair. Do you not like this house? Do you not like your car? Oh, Caleb, who takes care of this house? Yeah. Me. Who washes all the clothes? Me. Who gets all the groceries? Me. Not to mention I'm helping my parents every weekend. You know, I've got all this pressure on me, and the only thing you ever do for anybody is for yourself. Let me tell you something. You don't know the first thing about pressure. All right? You think I, I put out house fires for myself? Or, or rush to car wrecks at 2 a.m. for myself? Or pull a child's body out of a lake for myself? You have no idea what I go through. Oh, yeah, but what do you do around here other than watch TV and waste time on the Internet? You know what? If looking at that trash is how you get fulfilled, that's fine, but I will not compete with it. Well, I sure don't get it from you. And you won't, because you care more about saving for your stupid boat and pleasing yourself than you ever did about me. Shut up! I'm sick of you! You disrespectful, ungrateful, selfish woman! How dare you say that to me? You constantly nag me and you drain the life out of me. I'm tired of it. If you can't give me the respect I deserve, look at me. Then what's the point of this marriage? Put off the old self. Now, that should be a worldly household, but I know for a fact that's Christian households, a lot of them. And the man care if we watch that video, and I, I start from the very moment you see the candle show up, there's 19 different things that whole conversation could have went if you're doing what you're supposed to do. But we let our old nature take control and that's where it heads. So God says, put off that nature. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore each of you must put off falsehood. We need to quit lying to one another. Lying to our spouses, lying to ourselves, lying to our children. We need to stop holding secret grudges because that's falsehood too. If you've got a problem with somebody and you don't tell them, you're lying to them because they don't know what to make it right because they don't know something's wrong but you're going home and talking about them behind their back to your friends and your family. That's not cool. So God says, stop doing that. Stop being self-righteous. None of, all of us are in the same boat. Just because I'm up here, I'm no better than anybody down there. I stumble like everybody else. The only difference is God has called me to be up here. That's the only difference. It's not fun to be up here because people don't like to hear stuff they don't like to hear and I don't like to say things I don't like to say. But this is truth. And when God says the truth, we're supposed to listen. And self-righteousness from the pharisaical point of view is this. 
Why are you following God? Pharisees were following God to get stuff, to get approval from men, to get money, to get power, whatever it is. That's what they were doing it for. They were called hypocrites because they weren't following God for the number one reason, because they love God. As Christians, that's what we're supposed to. If you're in church because you want to eat donuts, this ain't the church for you. If you're in church because you just want to hear the preacher preach, that's not, that's not why you come to church. You come to church because you love God. If that's not the number one reason, you don't need to be in church. You need to go do something else. Loving God should be the only reason you do what you do. It's because you love him. And you know what? If you love him, then you're going to love your wife. And you won't be yelling at her like that. Because every time I see that video, even though it's just a movie, it breaks my heart to treat someone else with that much disdain. No matter how mad you get, you shouldn't talk to somebody like that. In your anger, Ephesians 4, 26, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. God is not against anger if it's righteous. But if you let anger sit in your soul overnight, it becomes sin. So he says, take care of it. Whatever it is, work it out. How many of us go to bed angry? Don't raise your hands. The Bible says, don't do it. God knows better than we do. So we shouldn't do it, but we do. We go to bed angry. Then we get up in the morning and we get downstairs and we're eating cereal and looking at everybody with the dirty eye because we're still upset. And God's like, don't do that because it, then it just snowballs, man. It snowballs. So you work it out. Maybe you need a 10-minute breather and go to your different aisles you know, and then come back together and get reconciled. But the point is, don't go to bed angry. We need to forgive each other and reconcile. Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil a foothold. The Bible says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. So don't succumb to the old nature. If getting drunk used to be the problem, don't go to the bar. If pornography is a problem, don't go down to TDs or TENs. If being mean to your children is a problem, go get help. You know, it's like people don't want to get help. That's what the man, you know, the man cave is there to help other men. That's what we're there for, because we all know we're knuckleheads, so we need help. So we come together to help each other. That's what we're there for, because sometimes we, we're about to say something really stupid to our wives, and before we do that, we pick up the phone, and I call Wayne, or Wayne call, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm about to do something stupid. And he said, nah, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to pay for it later. I said, let's talk about it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Are you stealing from your wife or your husband? Are you giving other people affection that belongs to them? Are you spending time away from home to avoid your spouse? That's stealing time from your spouse. Are you stealing from the government? Are you fudging your taxes and taking write-offs you shouldn't be taking? Are you stealing from your employer? texting while you're at work on personal business or taking a 35-minute lunch when you're supposed to have a 30-minute lunch. That's all stealing. Do you steal from your children by spending more time with your hobbies than with them? Do you steal from God by neglecting his family, neglecting tithes and offerings, neglecting serving? That's all, you know, people think going in a bank and robbing it, that's stealing too, but we steal all kinds of ways. How are you dividing your time, talents, and treasures? Is God getting the short end of the stick? Or is he getting the 
good piece of the stick? That's the question to ask. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I hear racist jokes, I hear sexist jokes, I hear Christian jokes. And it's not outside the church, it's inside the church. That's, it's, it's dishonoring to God when we say things that aren't uplifting. God doesn't mind a little joke here and there as long as it's uplifting. But when you're bringing people down, it's not a good thing. We need to stop dishonoring our leaders. You know, if they do something dumb, you call it dumb. But you don't like, I hate Obama, he should go to hell. That's not the right thing to be saying. You should want him to come to meet Jesus like everybody else. You should want him to make good decisions as a president. And that's what we should be praying about. Not complaining about it, praying about it. How are you treating your kids? How are you talking to your kids? I hear parents like that. To say the rude things to your kids. Say rude things about your husband. My husband's an idiot. That's not uplifting. My wife's a nag. That's not uplifting. It may all be true. See, the funny thing about Christians is, well, that's true. It doesn't matter if it's true. The Bible says, do not let unwholesome conversation come out of your mouth. So is calling your wife a nag lifting her up and building her up? No. So what you do is get on your knees and pray and say, Lord, I need help. My wife is driving me crazy. What do I do? And he says, pray for her. That's what he's going to tell you. Pray that she's not the way she is. Pray that the love of Christ comes through her heart. That's going to change her. But talking about her in a negative way will not. James 4.11 says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Colossians 3.8 says, do not let filthy language come off your lips. Romans 2.24 says this. It is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of your actions. Exodus 20 says, 20 verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold you guiltless who takes his name in vain. That is not just saying certain words. That is how we live our lives. Because people who call themselves Christians, when they do something that doesn't glorify God, what do you think it does to God's name? It puts a mark on God's name. So when they see you yelling at your kids in the, in the restaurant, calling them names, and you called yourself a Christian five minutes earlier, that doesn't make God look good. That's taking his name in vain. See, we, we all got our own little theories about it, but it says in here, we blaspheme God's name by what we do, not just what we say. I know somebody had a Book of Life sticker on their car, and they went to a grocery store, and they were acting a little belligerent and stupid. And you know what happened? Somebody that was a fellow Christian came to the office and told me about it because they saw Book of Life Community Church on the back of their car. And I said, you probably want to have a talk with them because they weren't being very Christ-like to that person. That's just messed up. But that goes to show you that other Christians are looking out for you. They say, hey, can't be acting like that because they know better. Christ followers, everything we do reflects on God. When people see us doing the opposite of what God wants, God doesn't get the glory. Matthew 5, 16 through 17 says, let your light shine that the people around you may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we do good, people see him. They don't see us, they see him. They're like, why are they doing that? Because of God, because of Jesus. When we embrace our nature, 
and willfully sin, we are despising God. That's what the Bible teaches. We are hating God. You know, this, this, isn't a milk, this isn't a milk sermon, it's a meat sermon, but it's the truth. When we do things willfully against God, we are saying, God, we hate you. Scripture to back it up. God says to David, why did you despise the word of the Lord, and this is in Samuel 12, by doing what is evil in his eyes? Now the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me. And David is a man after God's own heart. David's in heaven. But when he did the evil he did, he put hate in his heart against God. None of us want to be doing that, right? We don't want to put hate in our hearts against God. So he's given us a blueprint of how not to do that. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. So grudges have got to go. You got grudges, get rid of them. Road rage needs to retire. That's rage. Call it what you want, but that's what it is. No more yelling and fighting. That's brawling. Bible says no more. And you need to chill on the ill will. Having ill will towards one another is not godly. Number two, the Bible says, be made new in the attitudes of your mind. Our minds are filled with a lot of worldly ideals, philosophies, and concepts, but we must unlearn them and embrace God's. The question is how? Romans 12, two, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. If the world thinks one way about an issue, find out what God has to say about it and then embrace God's position on it. You want some, our minds don't know everything. So the world may say something, you don't know if it's good or bad. The word of God, I guarantee you, speaks to it. Now you know what God says. So change your mind. If they say shacking up is good, God says, nope, shacking up's bad. Now you got your answer. Now you just got to change your focus. And the thing is, but I love him. <laughs> There's no buts in the Bible. He says, do this or not, right? Second Corinthians says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Our weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought, make it obedient to Christ. So no matter what it is, it needs to line up with God's word. Hebrews 4.12, what weapons are we fighting with? What's the main weapon God has given us? Speak up. The sword, which is what? The word of God. Your number one weapon to fight all the negativity in the world, all the things you need to know is the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You really want to get your mind blown? Do, these, do this. If you want your mind to really get lined up with God, do this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, Philippians 2, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mind as Christ. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. 
If we could just get that right, our whole minds will be clear because that's what we do. We fight. We may not fight with each other, but we're fighting with each other by going to tell other people, he made me mad. Did you tell him? No, I'm just telling you. So now that person's mad at that person because you told him you're mad at them. Now we got two people mad at him. He don't even know. Right? We got a lot of fighting in church and God says, don't fight, don't argue. Have the same mind as Christ so that you may become blameless and pure and children of God in a warped and crooked generation. You want to train your mind? Be selfless, be loving, be kind, be compassionate. Read 1 Corinthians 2 if you want more information about renewing your mind. It's a great chapter for that. And now we're going to talk, put on the new self. Welcome to the new normal. You didn't want to do this at first, did you? No. But halfway through, I realized that I did not understand what love was. And once I understood that, I want to believe that this is real. But I'm not ready to say that I trust you again. I understand that. But whether you ever reach that point or not, I need you to understand something. sorry I have been so selfish for the past seven years I have trampled on you with my words and with my actions I have loved other things should have loved you. In the last few weeks, God has given me a love for you that I had never had before. And I had asked him to forgive me. And I am hoping, I am praying, that somehow you would be able to forgive me too. Catherine, I do not want to live the rest of my life without you. Put on the new self. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for all of us are members of God's body. Ephesians 
we have this thing in Bible study. People say, how are you doing today? And you say, I'm doing fine. And we all know it's a lie because most of us aren't doing fine. You know, we're having trouble in our marriage. We're having trouble at work. We're having trouble with our kids. And we don't tell anybody anything, not till it's too late. And God says, speak truthful with your neighbors. Tell them what's going on in your life so we can pray for you, so we can help you, so we can come alongside you. We're a family. I learn stuff like, you know, the nuclear bomb goes off, then I hear about it. You know, maybe I can help with the strap, no cleanup, but it's a little too late then. Come and share your life with each other. That's what fellowship is, is sharing our lives with one another. Ephesians 4.28, it says, you must work doing something useful with your hands. God doesn't want us to be lazy at home, at work, or at church. We're always supposed to be doing something that's blessing others. 428C says, so you can have something to share with those in need. That's why he wants you to work. Not for yourself. You notice it didn't say that. It says so you can share with others. Because God's all about giving. It's not about taking. And so when we go to work, Yes, we gotta pay our bills, but we should be thinking about what can I do to bless somebody else? And it's not just money, you know? You know, today, I, I, I printed up the bulletins today. That's what I did. I printed up the order of services today. That's what I did. I started the internet ministry upstairs. That's what I did today. And I'm preaching on the stage today. And people say, well, Michael likes to do everything. No, I don't. I want you guys to be sharing in the burden of working in God's house. That way we're all equally sharing. But somebody's got to do it. And if no one's here, you know what? My hands are here, so I'm going to use them. But I'd rather your hands be here to use them. Then I can go home and sleep sometime, you know? But that's up to you. I can't force people to want to be in church. If you don't want to be here, you don't want to be here. But God gave you a gift that you can bless somebody else with. And when you hold it to yourself, that's a sin. Your church needs your time. Your church needs your treasures. They need your talents. And we're supposed to share them. Every church has its pieces. And I always find out, you know, people always say, you don't have a young person's ministry. You know why we don't have a young person's ministry? Because you all go to Calvary East. God builds the ministry for every church. But I don't want to wait for God to build the ministry. I got to go over there. No, 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 no. You're part of what God's going to do. But instead, you leave because you're impatient. And we know what impatient does to people in the Bible. We got a whole Islamic state because Abraham got impatient and had some sex with a lady named Hagar. Look at the consequences of that. God has a plan for everybody. Every body of churches. Calvary probably has 18,000 hands over there. Book of Life just needs one. But they're all hoarding up in the big mega churches because you could be anonymous in a mega church. Can't be that anonymous here because we can, we can see you. And the thing is, God wants you to see you. You're storing treasure in heaven when you work in God's house. Isn't that what you want? When you get to heaven, God's like, yeah, that's my kid, man. You're awesome. Share. 1 John 3, 17, 18 says, if any of you has material possessions and see a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? 
Dear children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and the truth. People think that's about money, but it's not just about money. When, when Pastor Steve has to take a sabbatical because he's so beat up from all the work he's done, that tells you something because he hasn't had a lot of sharing of the burden. Now he does because he's got me and Nick, so he could go on vacation. But before, he couldn't go anywhere because nobody was there to step up. I've missed two days of church the whole time I've been here, which is crazy because I'm thinking I need a vacation too. But it's because I love you guys. It's not because I'm somebody special. I love being in church, but I know I'm going to burn out at some point just from sheer exhaustion. And so I'm like, why is that? And it's because I'm doing too much, you know? And it's not because I want to do too much, but I want to be a blessing too. I don't want to give up the internet ministry because it blesses people, right? I don't want to give up the bulletins because you guys never read it. So, you know, <laughs> people ask me, what's going on? It's right there in the bulletin. Didn't you read my bulletin? No, it's like, no. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? By not doing what God tells us to do. So by doing what God tells us to do, the Holy Spirit is happy. If we follow God's guidance through the Holy Spirit, we're not grieving the Holy Spirit. Plugging into your local body keeps you from grieving the Holy Spirit. Loving God's family keeps you from grieving the Holy Spirit and forgiving one another. You wanna keep the Holy Spirit happy? Do those things. The Holy Spirit wants to be happy. He wants to lead and guide you. But if you're grieving him, he can't. Be kind and compassionate to one another, verse 32. Forgiving each other as Christ forgave you. Biggest problem in church is forgiveness. Everybody smiles at each other like everything's okay. And trust me, I know everything's not okay. You know? Things happen in life, but the bigger person goes to the person and says, you know what, let's fix it. No matter who was wrong, let's fix it. Because that's what God says to do. Number four, to be like Jesus, to be like God, living a life of true righteousness and holiness. You ever hear this phrase? Well, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. The Bible teaches us to live like Jesus. You can't get on a cross and die for people's sin, yes. But you are supposed to live like Jesus. He's not talking about marriage or having children or career choices. He's talking about living a righteous and holy life like he did when he lived on earth. He didn't say try to live holy. He said do it. But the choice is up to you. The great philosopher and master Jedi says no. Try not do or do not, there is no try. Either you're gonna do it or you're not. Don't be talking, oh, I'm gonna try to live for Jesus. No, you're either gonna do it or you're not. Because trying implies failure, that's all it does. God says do it, okay, that should be your answer. Not but, but you don't understand, God understands. Jesus lived the life, he said he was tempted as we were. He understands perfectly. So when he gives us a directive, he says you can do it. The choice is up to you. I give you the tools. I give you the word of God. I give you prayer. I give you the Holy Spirit. I give you body of believers who support you. But if you don't show up to church, you don't read your Bible, you don't pray, guess what? No, you won't be able to do it. I guarantee you. The student is not above the master, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for us to be like Jesus. He's not expecting you to be better than him. We are paralyzed by fear of failure. 
that we can't live up to what Jesus wants. And if you try to do it in your flesh, you won't. It's impossible. Without the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you, you can't live like Jesus. The flesh, it, it, it'll fool you sometimes, but you will fall on your face. The flesh is incapable of following God, no matter how hard you try. Second Peter 1.10 says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. That Bible, you know, people say, never say never. That's what it says. If you do what I tell you to do, you will never stumble. So if we stumble, what does it mean? We're not doing what we're supposed to do. And that's okay, you know why? Because the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. It says, get back up, dust yourself off, and keep going. That's the thing about Christianity. God's not worried about our failures. He's worried about our successes. Because he knows we're going to trip and fall. But if you never get up, you're just laying on the ground, you're not doing anything. The Bible says, be perfect as God is perfect. Be holy as God is holy. John 3, 21 to 24, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of Jesus and to love one another. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us we know it by the Holy Spirit he gave us. Living for Christ is not just about words, it's about actions. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize it. You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? unless, of course, you fail the test. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Three questions you have to ask. 
are you still living like the old person you used to be? You know, you said a prayer, you're, 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 you're thinking you're going to heaven, but does your life look anything like it's supposed to look if you're a Christian? It's not a condemnation statement. It's, it's saying, examine yourself. What, what is the point of showing up to the pearly gates and God says, sorry, I don't know you. That, that's the worst feeling I can possibly think of. You think you're getting in and God says, no. And I don't know, that's horrible. So God says, examine yourself, check yourself. That way when you get there, you know, all right, I got my ticket, I'm ready to go. Second question, are you trying to live like Christ but failing miserably because you're trying to do it in your flesh? Don't work, I've tried it. I try to be the holiest guy on the block. It don't work. If the Holy Spirit's not doing it, you're gonna fall on your face every time. You have to let the power of God work in you to be who you need to be. And number three, are you embracing the new person God has made you by submitting to the Holy Spirit and obeying the word of God? Hopefully we're all doing number three. See, that's, that's the positive thought process. But if you're not, that's okay. You've got some tools now to change that. So in summary, because at the end of the day, there's only four things that matter. <laughs> number one, put off your old nature. Stop living like you used to live. Number two, renew your mind in Christ. Read your Bible, find out what God has to say, go out and do it. Number three, put on the new self. Embrace who God has created you. You were born again. You're a brand new creature in Christ. Embrace it. Number four, be like Jesus. Love God, love people, and do righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that we can come and talk about these hard things, Lord, and have it pierce our souls. Lord, help us to leave this place, people who love you and love each other, and come back and share our talents, our time, and our treasures to encourage one another, to uplift one another, to speak kind to one another, to treat each other compassionate. Let us be a light that shines in this city of Tucson that draws people to the Book of Life Community Church and to all the churches that live for you. We ask you to bless this day, bless the people as they go out and have lunch and fellowship with one another. We ask you to bless Ted as he sings, Lord. Help us to lift up your voice with praise. In Jesus' name, amen.